1869, a photo was taken to commemorate the completion of the first transcontinental railroad. It was about 1,900 miles of continuous railroad connecting the existing Eastern U.S. Rail Network in Iowa with the Pacific Coast. What you don't see in that photo are the Chinese immigrant laborers prohibited from the frame, even though they made up 90% of the workforce. They were intentionally excluded despite their accomplishments, sacrifices, life loss, and sufferings. There was no acknowledgments of all the hard work they had done. So it's not surprising that according to the report published by the Center of the Study of Hate and Extremism, Asian hate increased by 339% in 2021. That's triple digits. Fast forward to today, it's happening more than ever. It's not part of our past, but also of our present. Oppression and racism is not accurately depicted in the media. Spitting, throwing rocks, swearing, it's more subtle than that. It happens from a select few. They are the deciders of the moment. The few who hold the key to power or management that just don't want to see you in the office. No one is going to say that you, you didn't get the job or that you had a poor performance review because they didn't like your skin color. As I was researching amazing Asian American women, there were many great stories, but there's one that caught my interest that really inspired me because I, myself, had experienced a fraction of what she went through. It was the story of Susan Ann Cuddy, a Korean-American woman whose parents were the first Korean couple to migrate to the United States. When World War II was ramping up, she wanted to serve the country. She was graduating from San Diego State, physically fit and a math genius. She wanted to enlist in the Navy, but was rejected multiple times purely based on race. The U.S. would be at war with the Japanese, and because of her Korean descent, they decided she wasn't American enough. The Navy has quality issues even today. New at 5, fighting inequality, racism, and bias in the ranks. Navy makes clear that the branch cannot tolerate discrimination of any kind, and it must engage in open and honest conversations in order to address the issue. Yes, that Navy. Finally, she got accepted and went right to work. She was the first Asian American to join the Navy. She became the first gunnery officer which meant she had to learn how to shoot a 50 caliber machine gun, which was interesting for a five foot, 100 pound Asian lady. As a gunnery officer, she was the first to use reports coming from the front line and use that information to analyze the planes that were shot down. She saw a pattern and used that knowledge to inflict fatal blows to the enemy's aircrafts. 
her mathematical ability helped her excel as a code breaker, which at that time in World War II was valuable in intercepting communication from the Nazis. Because of this, she became the chief of code breaker with 300 code breakers from Ivy League working underneath her. And she had a great sense of humor. She thought it was funny that these Ivy League folks were working for her when she only went to San Diego State. These accomplishments had prompted her to apply for the Navy intelligence, but again was rejected. Her supervisors were literally torpedoing her promotions even though she was saving American and Allied lives. It was crazy. Every stage in her career, she was shut down, but she persisted. Researching this, I wanted to look up her awards and accommodations. You know those uniforms you see when they split their medals? She had more of those that you can fit in her tiny frame. She had all these wartime accomplishments. She saved many lives. She earned these jobs, but she got turned down solely because she was an Asian American woman. Any of us can tip the scale against oppression. Whether talking to a friend who you see is being unfair, writing comments anonymously at work, offering help to the person who is being treated unfairly by introducing them to your network, or helping them with their resumes. Let's all be that ally. As the Russian Alexander Solzhenitsyn said, let the light come to the world, let it even be victorious, but not through me. You're listening to Reengineered You. This is a podcast about self-empowerment. All the myths, lies, and misconceptions we tell ourselves. Then, we use science and history to bust those myths and re-engineer a better you. I'm your host, Todd Laments, the extrovert. And I'm the writer, researcher, and introvert, Joe Anthony, whose job it is to look through the outer layer of no-duh on the internet. Today, we have a very special guest. It didn't make sense for two middle-aged white guys to be talking about Asian women being discriminated against at work. So we have a special guest. She's in the corporate world. She's a project manager. She's very successful. She's from the Philippines. She immigrated here. She's a very educated, very intelligent, very accomplished public speaker, uh, Joanne Pereres. Hi. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Hi. So... When we started talking about this speech, uh, what was it for exactly? Like, what were you working on? It was for a DNI event. Sorry, do I elaborate? Elaborate. Well, no one knows what that is. Okay. <laughs> I work as a contractor as a project program manager, and I was invited to speak for a DNI event. I also volunteered for allyship activation so I, w- I was with this three or four people and what we did was to reach out to other communities and um, 
organize these types of events. And as I understand, it was to raise awareness in kind of weeding out discrimination. So is that what it's for? That's what that is for, yes. So it's kind of fortuitous we have somebody who is going to be presenting on such a big stage about such an important issue, and now we get to sort of talk about it on the podcast. Um, So I'm going to start with some, like, shocking statistics, and the reason I'm going to start with those is because we know from doing this podcast that um, the way neurology works is when tragedies get above one person or when they get too big, we actually can't really conceptualize them. Um, so in, in your speech, I think you mentioned it was like um, uh, discrimination against Asian Americans is up 300% or something like that? Correct. I was looking at um, New York. Like I, I kind of wanted to dig into some of the statistics so we could talk broadly first like what is in the news and then get narrower from there about like what it actually looks like i saw in new york um specifically violence against asian americans is up 1900 (laughs) percent, and that was in the new york times and it was reported very recently so like um uh this san francisco bay area parts of california and new york it's not a small thing it is explosions like uh, there's a new york subway incident where like um a filipino man got slashed with a box cutter and it was attributed to a hate crime in um san francisco i believe there have been a couple of uh shootings and here in texas um in dallas specifically there was a nail salon or or just a salon a a korean salon and somebody went in with a gun and, and shot three women um and there was no connection like they they weren't an angry, uh, they weren't upset that they got the wrong hairdo. It was uh, chalked up to being a hate crime. So people who see the news and when Joe Biden made his, um, like an executive order, I think, declaring that it was an issue that needed to be confronted. I, I think from an outsider like me, the, the misconception is the percentages must be inflated because, you know, uh, like, like it, it, it must just be perceptions from that group. So what is what does discrimination look like on the ground? What does it look like when it's not just, you know, news snippets? I kind of think about Joe, it's similar to um, parents who are immigrant here are kind of tough. And then it's hard for them and they know how their career gets stalled out multiple times because it kind of Joanne's speech is talking about the ones that make the news are the guns and the beatings and the baseball bats, but the subtle things. Um that sometimes you don't even know about, or when you start to see your family get discriminated against, I can imagine that's really hard. That's something that came up in the narrative. Uh, you, Joanne, you talk about how Cuddy started her career immediately basically getting frozen out of the military, or at least told no. And as a civilian, when I think of the military, I just think of like, you fill out a form, you get accepted or you don't. Like I, I didn't, Obviously, this happened in World War II while there was a lot of anti-Japanese sentiment, but how did that journey start? Like, why was that unique? Why was the journey um, unique? And from my research about her is that because she's a woman and she's a Korean descent, I can only imagine because she looks like Japanese and people hated her already wanting to serve and being told that you can't because you look like our adversary adversary 
So that would be challenging for her to accept because for her, she's American by heart because she was born and raised here and being told that you can't because you look different. That's funny. I, a story popped into my head, Joe. I was at a, a Barnes & Noble once having coffee. This is up in Seattle. And there was a, a South Korean woman that was there. And at the time, there was all these news reports of problems that we were having, conflict that South Korea was having and America was having with North Korea. And there was an African-American man in there. He was probably in his 70s. And you know this guy. He has the Vietnam hat. He's obviously an ex-veteran. And he started to give... He started to give a hard time to um, this woman, and she's probably probably in her teens, maybe twenty, about her country. And of course, the other people in there started to stand up for her, myself included, because she's not even from North Korea; <laughs> she's from South Korea. But and you think a man who's African American, who's a, who's a veteran, would be sensitive to that? You would, yeah, you would think so. I. One of the um, a couple of the violent incidences I was reading about was an African American attacker. Um, I'll it I'll link off to the New York Times article so like people can read about the specifics of who did what. Um, but it's it's not just white national hate groups. It is like hate group, not even hate groups. The word group doesn't really encompass it. It's generic hatred <laughs> and generic poor disposition seems to be sort of more of a, a issue here. And that's the weird mind blower for me, yeah. I wonder too about sexism and racism of your own race too, right? I bet I bet Ann Cuddy, Joanne, probably wasn't supported by her friends or family. That was a different time too, yeah, that's a good point. I'd like to think that she was not being supported by her family and friends, and she was probably persuaded against joining the Navy. Kind of like um, being looked at as like a social traitor because you're you're supporting the system that is actively kind of holding your head and holding you back. Yeah, why can't you just get a job and have a husband and have a family, right? Right. <laughs> why do you have to be a war hero? <laughs> <laughs> When I looked into this, it it I think I used the phrase that it it's almost like reading the plot of the movie Men of Honor, except better, because <laughs> like she was like like she studied yeah. up and and she was smarter than the position she was in. Obviously, uh, first female Navy officer who was of Asian descent. She was also the first one she got, I believe, was gunnery officer, and she was teaching people to shoot. Um, and she, not only was she teaching people on an aircraft carrier, um, how to shoot at planes. So like she was doing her officer's job, but she also was one of the first people to like study, uh, airplane maps. Like she would get reports about how airplanes were being shot down and where they were getting hit and things like that. And she was analyzing them and giving them to her crew. So like she was, that says a lot about her character that <clears throat> she got accepted to this position. And then she, instead of just sitting or arriving she just kept working hard right i think a lot of it was intelligence but a lot of it was just hard work and maybe having a chip on her shoulder right like i'm going to show everyone what i can do with this opportunity right they're not going to regret having me in the military i think one of the 
big American myths, and I would actually, I would like Joanne's opinion on this. We have the thought, especially I do, of the opinion that it's a meritocracy, that ever since Napoleon, we've, we've gone away from nepotism and we have a meritocracy where if you're good enough and you're smart enough, you will at some point be accepted, that, that somebody will hire you, that you will be able to worm your way into any career you want as long as you are persistent, you have the skills, that it's just once in a while somebody will stand in your way. But that's not really what we see in discrimination. I can't speak for... Um, white males, but from what I've noticed as a Asian American here in the U.S. is that you have to be better, if not great, um, compared to your male counterparts, right? Um, my friends and I talk about this. Really, you have to have PhD, while you the guy that you're working with is like a high school graduate, right? Or barely, but she, they got this experience because they they just accept, got accepted in the job. They were they applied and they they got accepted. For us, we have to speak perfect English. We have to have like bachelor's degree or more than that, and actually be great at that. Like day one at the job. So that's what my experience and what I've observed and when my friends who came from different, uh, similar backgrounds as I am, what we've noticed. That's kind of, does that fall into the why um, men have always earned more money than women? Always, doing the exact same job. Also, right. And also, I think a lot of the hiring is done by men. So let's say middle-aged white men are doing all the hiring. Who do they hire? They hire people that look like themselves, look like them. Not just that they look like them, but right. they talk like them and they talk about these things that, but for somebody who wasn't born and raised here, I wouldn't know the references they will be making, right? And so if they talk like them, they share similar jokes, even though they just met day one, that person would guaranteed almost get the job. Right, we had an episode about social classism where we basically figured out through research that if you can emulate the social class that the hiring manager is from, then you're almost guaranteed the job. They, they rate you as more um, intelligent. They rate you as uh, more trustworthy. They, they assign you higher bonuses to start. So even if you just wipe away the word racism, just being able to do exactly what you're saying, Joanne, know the jokes, know the references, know the, the class, you know, ticks, the, the code switching that needs to happen, that's that's a much... I, I Would you say that's more of a prominent gatekeeper than, like, the o, the the overt racism? Because, like, when I well, hear racism I, in the news, I think it's, like, somebody being like, no, you can't because you're this person. Like, you're you're Asian, yeah. so get out of here. Like, like, like they kick you out. Yeah, it, like the old... Uh, kind of, like... I, that's how I felt, too, Joe, is, like, the, the one thing I really liked about Joanne's speech, and it stuck with me, and I heard it probably... A month ago for the first time is the part about it being subtle that it's not the screaming spitting swearing you know we don't serve your kind here and the people that are doing this racism right. don't think they're racist right that may be the biggest key point for me is it doesn't look like somebody like it, it's not newsworthy it's not even really worth sharing with family and friends sometimes it's it I, I, I don't have this experience, but it, it looks to me from what we've talked about like it's more of a 
you just don't get the job. Like, like you, you're just quietly rejected on the side. Joe, have you ever had that experience where you work with somebody and they don't like you, whether it's a manager or coworker, but they won't say it. And you just have this constant uncomfortableness <laughs> for years. Yes. I hate that. That's worse. I wish they'd just come out and say that they don't like me and why. So we can put the cards on the table and be done with it. Right. In corporate speak, they would say, it's not a good fit. <laughs> Which is the same as saying, I don't like you. Is that what that is? Right. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> well, that's 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 um, in the uh, our Anna Delvey episode was our social class episode. And she actually used those words frequently when she would like try to con somebody into giving her a job or a loan or something. She would say. I'm looking for a good social fit or like, like those words, you know, a, a, a workplace fit or social fit is exactly what the term they use. So like, I, I think, and this is again, just my assumption looking at the, the statistics, I think that, you know, a 1,900% increase in violence in New York against Asian Americans, that makes the news. But the bigger one is so many people just saying, I'm sorry, you're not a good social fit unless that person has just so many degrees and so many accomplishments you can't ignore them well joanne in your career have you seen people promoted based on popularity less than skill hard work education in places you've worked yes i have i've um seen them get promoted while you work harder and still been told like, well, we'll try again next year. Or if you do this, you'll probably get the promotion. And they just kind of like lead you on and keep leading you on until f- five, 10 years later, you you realize this is not going anywhere. Okay, so is it one of those situations where they tell you they will keep your resume on file and to keep calling them back so they... <laughs> Or you're just working there, Joe, is what she's talking about. She's oh, working okay. on the floor, working in the office, and John, David, and Sam all got promoted. <laughs> they're right. making more money. They buy, they're buying bigger houses, newer cars. That's, uh, okay. Well, that, that actually feeds right back into what we were talking about with Cuddy. Like, she was mega talented, and she was doing way more than she should have as a, a gunnery officer. Like... I understand it with the Navy because with the Navy, it's a bottleneck. Like you can't, you literally can't move up in the ranks unless you appeal to somebody directly above you in the, in the chain. But with work, I mean, like the, the option must be there to just like find another gatekeeper to, to appeal to a similar job or office. Is it, is it enough of a problem everywhere that like that's, even not an option like you can't just be like well this guy here in my job is racist and he is telling me i can't get promoted yet so why not just go to another similar job to another similar manager so what you're saying is it's probably uh, do you ever think joanne that this situation is just unique to this one business and one person and if you just went to another company it doesn't exist you're going to be treated 50 you're gonna be treated like everybody else whether you're a man woman what uh, what color skin you are i don't know if it's my upbringing where you just like keep trying right we're not uh, at least for me i'm not like oh well i'm just gonna go to the other 
company and try in the next six months if this does not happen it i'm i think i'm wired to stay to suffer and try again um joe's wired to suffer too he can associate with that he's a sufferer a lifelong sufferer. i can take the beating <laughs> But then and, until you talk to other people and like, oh my God, this is not normal. And so it took a while for me to realize that they're not going to, I'm not going to get promoted or not going to go anywhere near. That's got to be a constant um, feeling of resentment though, a little bit to feel. I, to me, people say, oh, you just got to power above it. I hear all this, you know, this uh, two cent self-help talk, but when you literally don't get the same chances, um, I think it wears on you. I think, Joe, don't you think it would fatigue you after a while? And you'd get a little bit hopeless about your job and say, well, why am I doing this? Right. You, And I think everybody has the experience at least of like being hired somewhere, being stuck in a bad position, and then just waiting forever as people get promoted around them. But just imagine that every job you have, or, or nearly every, and also seeing that happen and having that much time wasted throughout your life. Like like if if every job you go to, there's a percentage chance that somebody is going to string you along for six months to a year, and you're willing to sit there and suffer through it until you, it is evident that you're not being promoted, that's a lot of time. Like, like in a lifetime of somebody, like how many years, Joanne, do you think you've wasted waiting on promotions that didn't happen before you switched to another company? I would say five years. Enough time to be a master in something else. Yes, absolutely. Because for me, I mean, uh, at my current job, I've only been here for 10 years, but I've learned tons already compared to 10 years that I spent in my other company. I got I sent you guys a list, but like um, the fourth one is the toughest one for me to wrap my head around, which is why is her struggle relevant to the news today? Because her story about like, of finally beating down the door and becoming like a head code breaker in a military that didn't want her. That's a giant success story, but like that seems so fairy tale-ish. Like like it to me it's it seems like Hollywood. Like it it, it seems unreal. But it's it's it also seems long ago. Like like reading that when I first read it I was like, "Oh, that is that is such a you know, nineteen, you know, forties to sixties story. That is, that is an era past. So that would never happen today. We're, we're so much more evolved now, right? So, what is the value of looking into this? Do you think things have gotten better, Joe? I used to think things had gotten better. I think because we've just celebrated AAPI heritage last May, and all these Asian hate. Um, in the news, all over the news. I think that's why it's relevant today, revisiting that, especially with uh, people like me from Asian background. We're always looking, uh, like, uh, like for example, well, how, what am I trying to say? Like if I go to Portland downtown, um, I'm a little bit reluctant to, to like go out and spend my time there because it's there's all there's news that Asians get mugged there. I'll give an example of that. That 
The VA has a veterans uh, building in downtown Portland. Well, they send emails out to all the employees that there's been Asian hate crimes. So if you want to work remotely, you're you're welcome to. <laughs> if if you're Asian, did they really? Yeah, yeah. We, we have that uh, is crazy. Several friends that work there, so they're like, yeah, you be careful if you're Asian coming to work. I mean that 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 seems like. Something from the olden days, right? Holy shit. Yeah, one of my friends worked there too, not in VA, but one of the offices in Portland where he got mugged and spent weeks in the hospital and was told by his employer, okay, you're going to be remote from now on. And so those kinds of stuff are are still happening. And I think that's why Kari's story is relevant today because even though her story happened 50 years ago, we're still facing the same struggles that she experienced. I I think it was Pew Research put out that um, 8 out of 10 Asian Americans have changed the way they operate because of the threat of violence. So like like what you're saying, they either they they change to remote work or they take a different route or several routes to get home or they do, you know, they carry a weapon now or something. But that does feel so... Uh, you know, like that does feel so last era that that doesn't seem like it should be you know possible today. Like so many things that end up in the news now. Yeah, we're not in a big violent city either. It's become that way, but it wasn't always. Portland's a smaller place. It's not L.A., New York, Miami. Right. I mean, here in Hillsboro alone, I was at Home Depot and somebody screamed at me to go back to your country. And... It's Hillsborough. <laughs> I am. <laughs> I'm heading home now. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of that's pretty, laughing, but that's very scary. So there's also sort of a, a a thing in the news where they've talked about how we don't have to report this because um, Asian Americans have class privilege or that they are successful in America, mm. and that is not from me. That is that is from also the Times and. The idea that if you if you are in a class that has succeeded already in this country, that you're not as newsworthy, that, you know, we have the misconception or, or the stereotype that Asians are good at math and they have PhDs and they have, you know, socioeconomic class. So why do we have to pay attention when they're being discriminated against or that it's not even real? Um, yes, they call them or they call us model minority and... I think that the reason that they're doing that is putting us in a box that's telling us that we're model minority. You have to act or speak a certain way, and you should be good. So does that make sense? Makes sense to me. The The shocking part, you, I, I really like that you brought up the phrase model minority because um, I, think it was, I think it was 2018 Pew Research put out a study about, like, income gaps in uh, minorities and basically they found out that Asian immigrants have the highest poverty rates in the US or or, or no is New York City specifically they were like yeah this this model minority thing is bullshit because you know you you can have so many people in the workforce who are quote unquote being the model minority who are you know uh, like you said trying to learn perfect English holding high degrees you know excelling like their life depends on it they're they're pulling a cutty and and yet you know the the immigrants who arrive or or the first generation uh asian americans are the poorest people they have so i i 
don't think that we're giving enough visibility possibly to um, the whole monolith. Like we're not looking at the whole picture. We're just sort of assuming that if they're successful, we don't need to report it in the news when they get attacked. I'm I'm reminded of when, when I was in my early 20s, I worked for a year at this manufacturing plant. We made dental equipment. It's in Oregon called ADEC. And uh, they would keep a scoreboard of how much production everyone did. So there was about eight um, Vietnamese women who were all immigrant, didn't speak very much, very little English, but they they worked as a team. Um, those eight women, elderly women, outworked about 50 of us American 20-year-old kids. <laughs> Every day, <laughs> those eight outperformed 50 of us. <laughs> and they got paid the exact same money, or probably probably a little bit less i think growing up as well like being this um model minority is that we don't say anything right we're not accustomed to complaining hey this guy is being mean to me it was more of like put your head down work harder so it's it's that mentality as well in our um I, I don't want to speak for everyone, but that's just what I've noticed and how I was taught growing up. And so if we experienced some racism at work, it was like, well, you should be nicer, right? You should just accept this as it is and move forward and continue working harder. So that's probably why we're called model minority because for our, in our culture, Complaining is not acceptable, and just staying quiet is more of our uh, of our mantra, I guess. And jo- Joanne told me this offline. We were prepping for the show. She said that um, she's of Filipino descent, and she said that her friends, who she's worked with for years, if the boss comes to them and says, "Okay, hey, everyone's going to be working graveyard," um, the American people would freak out, say, "Heck, I can't do that. I got a family. Da da da." They just They'd walk out, they quit. She said her friends and her just say, okay, I guess I'm working nights now. You know, just, they don't love it, but they don't say anything. But that, that cultural disposition of, you know, uh, working for the group and and making sure the, you know, the, the group's end goal is successful, that kind of serves racism and corporation very nicely. Like that, <laughs> I, I mean, like it is it is it sort of coincidence that that, mentality helps uh the problem or or that it at least like doesn't bring it to light as quickly i mean like we're not having marches as much well i think it's hard right who wants to be the one you're busy working you're struggling you're trying to pay off your student loans they've got the same challenges as everyone else so they're probably afraid to you know i i think to put my question in a better way because that was more of like a, a a slap to corporate america and not so much a question but um what can we do? Like, I think is the the main thrust of this is I've sat through um, my company's sensitivity training, and that is always a joke. Like, mm-hmm. like they make the racism seem overt. Like somebody is like, like, like Bill here doesn't want to hire an Asian. And like it shows a guy who is like saying the most awful shit possible. And then the the expectation right. is they, they tell you, the listener to this, you know, video you should report him. Like, that's always the answer is like, oh, just quietly report him, you know, like put a, a slip of paper in a box and that'll solve it or at least speak out. And I I don't ever see anybody do that. Like, like, 
for one, I've never seen anyone in the workplace be that overt. It is what Joanne said. It is they they quietly just don't hire that person or they keep them and string them along for years without promoting them. And then again, like, how do you speak out against that? You can't uh, you don't really get a chance to report that, do you? So, like, what what do we do? Like, like, what is the social answer? I think in Joanne's speech, she talked about not being the one to look the other way. If you see that it's going on, speak up, say something. I've talked to some friends offline about this who um, have minority spouses, partners, and they, they said that if they see something, what they would like is to send an email to that person and kind of just conf- confront them in the nicest way possible and saying, is, this, are, are, is everyone being treated fairly here? And I kind of like that. Yeah, it is challenging to even figure out is it really racism or or do they is it bias or do they is do they just really think that this person that is not qualified to be at that job, right? So what can we do as our allies? I believe it's just like educating yourself what is happening in the Asian community and also just reaching out to us and asking us like what do you need what do you need help with i see that you were trying to apply for this role and you didn't get it um let me introduce you to my network or um i know of a person that's hiring i'll introduce you to that one and so that, those are little things that can allies help us and like I said, it's it's really challenging to figure out if it's really racism, purely based on racism and merit base. So that's I think that's perfect advice. That is, what can I do as somebody who's conscious of this, and also, what can you do with somebody who may not be conscious of their bias? Like if you suspect somebody doesn't know that they are, you know, doing it on purpose, being racist, even if it's not racism, even if it is just subconscious bias. You can always email them quietly and be like, hey, you know, this person has been a hard worker. Joanne has been working for us for a long time. She deserves a promotion. You know, um, like we, we I know we've promoted three other people above her and there's always a reason. But like, let's just think about that next time. Well, the NFL has one, Joe. I, I want to end with this, but they have this rule. It's called the, the Rooney rule. Who's an owner in the, in the NFL? And what it is, is when the head coaching jobs open in the NFL, they have to interview um, a minority applicant. But I find this very condescending, and they have to prepare, and they have to fly out to that city and meet with the owners, and which should be an honor and an opportunity, but these teams have already got someone in mind that they're going to hire who's white. Right. So I think when you're paraded in there, and they put this parade on and act like and ask you all these questions, <laughs> F them. They're, they have no intent of hiring you. And we've all had this, Joanne said this happened in her career where we're, and I've done it where I've gone to five interviews for a job that they've already got someone in mind. <laughs> They're going through the diligence and you're part of that diligence. Yeah, it's just, I mean, it's stupid. I I hesitate to bring up anything in politics anymore, but um, I went digging for why the explosion of hatred and violence uh, got started like why it's up so high recently um, because during the during World War II the obvious answer is we were at war with Japan and there was just a lot of 
fear. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, like I will not even use the word hatred because I think people have heard that word so much in the news lately, they've almost blocked it out. Just the fact that there is a lot of fear and anger toward a group when the public started calling COVID the Chinese flu, it, it rang so much like Japanese internment to me. Mm-hmm. And most research... Like, we're going to link off to as many of these as possible so that this isn't easily debunkable for our podcast. But almost every source I could find talked about 2020 when people started referring it to uh, referring to COVID as a Chinese virus. Yeah, that's when the fire started. Well, it reminded me exactly of September 11th. After that, there was a lot of racism here against people of um, from the Middle East. Yes. Anyone named Mohammed, there was people, I remember being in convenience stores and the owners, you know, a lot of them predominantly, you know, a lot of Indian or Persian owned, they were being yelled at, screamed at. It was horrible. And that's exactly what happened with the COVID thing. There was just all this, all of a sudden, this, what you said, I think is perfect is there was this just visible fear and meanness and nastiness that it's hard to get your head around. It's not just hard to get my head around. It makes me feel exhausted and like there's no hope for the human race <laughs> like seeing like like this is what being a researcher does for you and a cynic is you look yeah, back just... at every time it's happened in the history of america and be like oh this always happens this isn't just like new or even frankly solvable in my mind it just always happens but that that quote is how i got over that feeling and and joanne used it in her speech and i was very happy to see it come up again which is you know l- let the lie come into the world but but not through you so it's like, I guess really the only answer is this is going to happen. We're going to get afraid of anything that is foreign and not us. And we have to be the person that sends that email or we have to be the ally Joanne was talking about where you, you mm-hmm. open up opportunities for somebody instead of closing them down. Couldn't agree more, Joe. I'd like to thank you both for having me here and help me raise the awareness on hatred against Asian Americans. You can find me on LinkedIn, Joanne Perez. I believe Joe will have that on the notes. Hey, Todd, do you want to make her do the, the outro? What is it? Okay, say. Um, I'm Joanne Perez. I, I don't know everything, but I have an opinion on everything. No, we're not we're not experts in anything, but we've got. Oh yeah, yeah. sorry, I forgot the. <laughs> okay, sorry. So Joanne, I'm not I'm not expert in anything, but I do have an opinion on everything. I'm Joanne Perez. I'm not an expert in anything, but I do have an opinion on everything. Hey, love it. <laughs> <laughs>